Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. So as you uh, know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're working our way through the Science of Mind textbook, the first four chapters. We're doing what is really common in Science of Mind communities, what we call back to basics. And so in four weeks, you get the complete overview of everything you've ever wanted to know about Science of Mind. So how are we doing so far? Okay. All right. The first week we learned about God. We learned that God is all powerful, um, all loving, all present, all wise. Last week, we learned that because of what we learned on week one, that means us, that we are, in fact, an agency, if you will, of God in the world. And the way that God gets God's work done, especially in the human realm, is through us. And so if you'll remember, I sent you out last week with a little bit of homework. Uh, My suggestion was that we looked at what we did and what we said as though it were God working through us. So how did that go? Was that easy? You guys out there today? <laughs> Just checking in. Because I got to tell you, there were a couple times when I really caught myself major. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't think God would have said that. <laughs> I mean, it is God. It is a part of God. Everything I say, of course, is divinely inspired. But oh my gosh, sometimes I make choices around my words that don't feel very divinely inspired. So that was our homework last week, and it's setting us up, I think, for today. So if last week was, how does it work? It works through us. This week is, what does it do? And it has a very simple answer. It, meaning God, responds to our thoughts. Now this is perhaps the, I don't know, the the legacy, if you will, the, the main point of Ernest Holmes altogether, I think, is that God responds to our thoughts. And it does so in a very even-handed way. It does so in a very consistent way. And whether for good or for bad, it responds to pretty much all of our thoughts. Now, sometimes a question will come up about that. They'll say, well, Larry, I have all kinds of crazy thoughts. They come and they go. And for the most part, I would say, you know, you're right. Those real fleeting things, I mean, if I think about an elephant right now, Should I be expecting one out in the parking lot? (laughs) Probably not so much. But you know what? If I thought about an elephant long enough and with enough passion in my heart, at some point, I might find myself at the zoo. Do you know what I mean? Our thoughts become things. Any kind of thought patterns, any kind of beliefs, the, 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 the main input of what our mind and what's going on in our mind, when we hold that long enough and dear enough, we start seeing evidence of it everywhere. And the way Ernest Holmes talked about it is that our thoughts become things, literally. That as we think, so it happens to us in the world. Um, as you also know that have been here uh, throughout this month. I'm also sneaking in a little bit of one of my favorite ministers on the planet. And so I'd like to share with you something that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King um, shared with his congregation in 1959 on August 30th in Montgomery, Alabama. So this, I, I know we know him more as a civil rights leader, as a spokesperson, but you know what? He was a minister first. 
And I want to read the, the sermon that he started out with on that Sunday. He starts with a quote from Matthew 6, 10, 16, and he says, Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So this is from uh, uh, Dr. King. He says, let us consider first the need for a tough mind. It's characterized by incisive thinking, realistic appraisal, and judgment. The tough mind is sharp and penetrating, breaking through the crusts of legends and myths and sifting that which is true from that which is false. The tough-minded individual is astute and discerning. He has a strong, austere quality that makes for firmness of purpose and a solidness of thinking. Who doubts that this toughness of mind is one of man's greatest needs? Rarely do we find men who willingly engage in hard, solid thinking. There is an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Nothing pains some people more than having to think. (laughs) Well, he says... There is little hope for us until we become tough-minded. Tough-minded enough to break loose from the shackles of prejudice, half-truths, and downright ignorance. The shape of the world today does not permit us the luxury of soft-mindedness. A nation or a civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchases its own spiritual death on the installment plan. Are we on the installment plan? See, one of my fears, if you will, is that this idea of our thoughts becoming things, when we look around at the things around us then, thoughts are what produce that. And so very often I look around and I see the world is still a pretty good mess in many ways. Do you know what I mean? We still have wars going on. We still have trouble in our schools. We still have trouble in state, local, and national government. There are all kinds of places in the world where you can see things being a pretty much mess. And it was our thoughts that produced that. We are, I think prone to that easy, that sloppy thinking, if you will. It is through the tough-minded thinking, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, that we begin changing how the world works. First of all, though, I want to continue talking about this idea of thoughts becoming things. I want to talk about this idea of it in terms of a spiritual law. And if you were reading in the book, the material for this week, it talked about it specifically as a spiritual law or a spiritual principle. And it even gave it a name of the law of cause and effect. And so I want to talk about the law of cause and effect. And the best way to do that, I think, is starting with a joke. So off we go. Two college professors joined a hunting camp in Maine, and as they entered their cabin, they noticed an unusual stove. It was set four feet high off the ground. Well, the two professors decided that they would test their understanding of the law of cause and effect, trying to figure out why it was the way it was. Well, said one, the man who owns this has discovered that heat emanates from a stove, strikes the roof, and then it radiates down better if the stove is set up high. So the cause is radiant heat, and the effect is to move the stove higher. Well, the other professor smiled. Being of a more practical turn, he said that he thought the stove was set so high so that a good supply of wood could be placed underneath it. The cause, he said, is convenience, and the effect 
effect requires the stove to be raised. Well, they went on for some time, but after much argument, they called in the guide. Well, gentlemen, he explained, when I brought bought the stove up the river, I lost most of the stovepipe overboard. So the cause of setting the stove up so high is so that the stovepipe can go through the roof. How much of our thinking is happenstance? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the trouble? All the time I've left my stovepipe behind and I'm just kind of making do. And you know, I think this relates too to the messages we get from friends and family from the media. They're all giving us various length stovepipes and we can make do, right? We can set our, our furnace a little higher, and we can even pretend that it's to get radiant heat, maybe. But the truth of it is, when our thinking is sloppy, when we accept the words from other people as gospel, we are being what Dr. King talked about as soft-minded. We are simply not going through what is required to really discern what is best for us. If we want to use this idea of cause and effect, and cause and effect is such a simple concept, right? It simply says that for everything that we can see and touch, that is an effect and that it has a spiritual and mental cause. And so one of the ways, if you want to know what you've been thinking, is look around you. What's your family-like life? What is your home life like? What, what is your working conditions? What is, uh, uh, what is an average day like for you? Is it filled with love and sweetness? Does it feel satisfying at work? Does your family express harmony? Are you feeling well expressed and, and well loved and well utilized? If you are, then you've been thinking along those lines. And if you're not then you've been thinking along those lines. It's with spiritual law. And by a spiritual law, we mean that it works equally well for everyone. And I guess that's the good news and the bad news. You do not have to be anything special to use cause and effect. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to, uh, I don't know, meet some kind of moral standards or, 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 or pray a certain way. Or Do you know what I mean? It really works equally for everyone. As you think, so it will be done unto you. Right out of the New Testament. Now the bad news part of this, I think, is that a lot of us go with the flow. A lot of us think what we're told to think. A lot of us believe what we've been told to believe. A lot of us also are greatly influenced by what we see going on around us. If we see too many newspaper articles about death and despair, we start thinking, well, the nature of life is death and despair. If we start watching too many TV programs or listening to too many radio shows where it plays up the misfortunes of life, we start thinking that life is full of misfortunes. That is that sloppy thinking again. Because what is good for other people does not have to be pervasive for us. We each get to make up our minds. And, uh, and I guess here's the, the crux of the problem or, or the issue that we really have to work through. How many of us feel solid in our abilities to change our thinking? You know, every now and then I will get someone that will actually be right up kind of in my face and say, I don't, they'll tell me, I don't change my thinking. The world changes my thinking. 
and they'll give me good evidence of this, right? They'll say, well, I used to believe, let's say, let's take a nice story. Let's say I used to believe that so-and-so is a no-account idiot. (laughs) And there have been times in my life that I've maybe thought that about someone. But, right, over time, that person changes. That person shows up in a positive way. Maybe they join a 12-step program. Maybe they clean up their act. Maybe they start being nicer to their family. And so my thoughts about that person begin to change. That person caused me to change my thinking. Oh, but it's not true. It's so not true. And yet, doesn't that sound plausible? Doesn't that sound the way it works, that things happen on the outside and make us change our thinking? The truth is, we are in charge of our thoughts. We may indeed allow ourselves to be influenced by outside situations, but I tell you, sometimes that will work in your favor. Most often, it's just a more complicated way of doing what the world wants you to believe. If we are to be strong-minded, we must have the clarity of knowing what we want. We must have the presence of mind to begin shaping our thoughts, our intentions, and our choices to achieve that. Now, it is no more simple and no more complicated than changing our thinking, and we can have the lives we want. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes you will get every kind of evidence and stories from other people, from the news, from people you love and trust, that you can't do that, that you're not smart enough for that, that you don't have the capability for that, that you're not educated enough for that, or your heart's not big enough, or you're not pretty enough, or you're too old, or you're not old enough, or any manner of stories and crazinesses They'll be handing off off to you and saying, it's because I love you, you need to know this. (laughs) Or the newspapers will just say it as a fact. Nine out of ten people, blah, 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 blah. I want each one of us to be that tenth person then. I want each one of us to be tough-minded enough to know what in our hearts and in our minds is good for us, and then I want to start thinking up a storm. Because it is that storm of thought, it is putting our passion behind which we believe to be true, which we desire to be true for us, that is what's going to make it happen. Now there's a theory too, that some people think we just need to wait until the timing's right. That we we can't embark upon some new plan, we can't uh, start a new career, we can't, um, I don't know, begin enjoying life. We, We need to wait until the children are out of school, we need to wait until I finish up my degree, we need to wait until I'm retired, we need to wait till I have a job, or or till I'm out of a job, or or any number of things. We may feel the timing is not right, and my friends, the timing is up to you. The timing is when you say it is. When you begin having the thoughts that will empower you to do great things in the world, the resources will show up. When you are empowered to have a life that is full of love and joy, then those outward appearances will be drawn to you like an irresistible magnet. And it is up to you to make the right time. When we wait, we're saying it's up to someone else. When we go with someone else's ideas, even the people we love, we really need to check that out. Is that what I want? 
Is that what's good for me personally? Now, sometimes the answer will be yes. And doesn't it feel nice to have a little cheering section, right? That's good. That's sweet. That's lovely. And that's one of the reasons that a spiritual community works so well is because we can be here to support one another. But if the messages that you are getting from other people, even people that love you, messages from the media, messages from Madison Avenue, that there is something wrong with you, if there is something that is inappropriate about you, if you're getting those kinds of messages that you can't or you shouldn't or that you're not enough or that you won't, that you're too old or whatever the story is, I want you to ask yourself, is this really true or is it a silly opinion? You owe it to yourself to be that tough-minded individual that Dr. King was talking about. So how do we begin changing our thinking? Well, there are a couple different ways, and I'm not going to go into them in any great detail because we don't have enough time today, but I'll give you a couple clues. One of them, I would say, is the evolutionary path, and that's little by little. Little by little, we can chip away at our old beliefs. We can bolster new beliefs in it. And, and I will tell you, at first it will sound like you're fibbing to yourself. Have you, have you ever been with little kids that, kind of, that lie and don't realize they're lying? I don't know how to say it. They'll come up to you and just say something totally outlandish. And it's not that they're intending to lie. A lot of it is their creativity and their imagination. Well, I want us to tell ourselves some fibs in that same spirit. We may need to fib to ourselves initially and say, I do have the education I need for this new job. I am strong enough to do this. I am talented enough to, to embark upon this new career. I am ready to go back to school. The first time you say some of those words, it may sound like BS in your own head because you're not used to it. It may require that little bit of a fib to get you motivated. But once you get motivated, you practice that a little bit and it's not a fib anymore. You can own it. You can feel it in your own heart. You know, I've said a few times now that I'm good enough for this job, and now I'm feeling it. And now when I go to that job interview, I'm going to have some confidence. That's one of the ways we can chip away little by little in a kind of, a, of an evolution of our thought. The other thing that we can do, well, and I say it that we can do it, but it's almost something that happens to us, and that's the revolution. Every now and then, something that will happen to us or will be in a position where we can suddenly completely once and for all throw out some old way of thinking and embrace something new and shining and magnificent in a complete about face. You can think of it as a revelation. You can think about it as an epiphany. It's one of those times it's as though the sky opens up and, and everything is different. Now, I don't know how specifically in your lives to create an epiphany, but I will make some suggestions to you. It doesn't happen when you're standing in one spot. <laughs> when you're standing in one spot with same old, same old going on in your life, nothing much happening, no particular trouble going on, no particular great highs, your chances of an epiphany are just about zero. But interestingly enough, 
when things are dramatically something, and you can fill in the blank, because sometimes it can be dramatically bad. I remember my mother had a great epiphany about life when she had a heart attack. She suddenly realized life isn't something to be wasted. She suddenly realized through this horrible event that she was going to seize the day. And my gosh, you know, she may have been 78, but she actually started seizing the day. And it was beautiful to see. She went from kind of a lifeless thing. She had a heart attack and, oh my God, let's go out to the movies tonight. It was like, yay, mom. Well, I certainly hope that it doesn't require a heart attack on our point, on our part, to begin seeing life differently, to have an epiphany where, where we're going to go from same old, same old to something fabulous. But it, you know what? I know also that it can be an epiphany when it's something good that's happening, but something different. So maybe we do go back to school again after many years of not being in school. Or, or maybe we do start a new career in a field that we're not that familiar with. There will be something in it that will prove to you, oh my gosh, I can do this. Oh my gosh, I'm worth this. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes it requires a little jolt to the system. Sometimes it requires a resuscitative techniques, perhaps, to get us off our spot and move us forward. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework this week. I know that last week I asked you to picture yourself as God. So when you were in the grocery store, what would God do in a really long line of people waiting? God would be patient. I'll be patient. I ask you to picture yourself as saying and doing things with that full force of God working through you. I want to expand that a bit. This is going to be your hardest homework for the month. I'll be honest about that. I've been practicing it this week and I found myself crying at one point. Here's your assignment. Because law, the law of cause and effect is working always, I want you to look at your life to do an inventory of your life and say, I made this. I want you to look at all the small joys and all the loving relationships. I want you to look at, at the family that you care about and the friends that are important to you. And I want you to say, I made this. And I want you to look at that first husband or that traumatic uh, issue that you went through in high school. I want you to look at that one job that you got fired from. I want you to look at any of the pain and suffering that may also be in your life. And I want you to say, <coughs> I made this. Because what I know, it is not until we take ownership of our thoughts until we really understand that the law of cause and effect is always in operation, that we will begin using it more consciously. If we think that it only works on our good days, if we think that it only works for rich people or for happy people, if we think that it only works part of the time, then we will fail and we will sink back into soft-mindedness. This is not what I want for this group of people. So that's your homework for this week. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, 
Every day is Sunday to me. Uh, next week, we're going to talk some more about some specific tools that we can use to more creatively focus our thoughts in one particular area. But I want to leave you with one final idea. You know, June, Gun, June Gums, I can't even talk today, June, uh, is our, uh, the editor of our newsletter. And she wrote an interesting article on optimism. If you have a chance, I'd like you to read that. And the reason in particular that I would highlight it today is, do you know what? If all you did, if all you did was shift your thinking even slightly from the pessimistic into the optimistic, your world would be completely different. Even if one set of beliefs you have, maybe about how the governments run or, or maybe about whether there's uh, too much crime in the world, if you started shifting your thinking just enough to put it 51% over into the area of the universe as a safe and loving place instead of at 49% where the universe is restrictive and troublesome? Do you see how that would utilize the law of cause and effect to give you better outcomes, to give you consistently better outcomes? I'm going to close today with a, a quote from, uh, from the chapter that we're, we're using this week. The chapter is what it does. And here is how Ernest Holmes summarizes and concludes this chapter. He says, when we think, something happens. There is no reason to doubt it. Here and now, we are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good that is God. How much of this infinite good is ours? All of it. And how much of it may we have to use? As much of it as we can think of, as much of it as we can embody. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. It is this thing that I call God, and what I know about God is that it is truly infinite good. It is that sea of love and life, of joy and peace. It is good in every way, and everything that can be imagined as good is within God, within God's power. And you know what? I know that means me. And I know that it means each person in this room. Each person in this room is joy, is peace, is love, is that spiritual sense of those very things. And the degree to which the people in this room can hold the thoughts of those things close to them, so their lives are changed. And so for each person in this room, I express perhaps a greater willingness to see life more on the upside, to understand that their life is a reflection of their thoughts and beliefs, and to make changes where necessary. I'm simply grateful for this. I'm simply grateful being so, for God being so plain in saying yes to our thoughts. And so with great love, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. 
Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.